when we're fixated on a goal, it can become isolating. We get tunnel vision and we stop really enjoying our day-to-day life. This was the point of my last episode, which if you didn't listen to, I encourage you to go back and refresh. We talked a lot about one of my favorite authors, Hunter S. Thompson, and a letter that he wrote to a dear friend when he was 22, giving him advice on how to pursue a lifestyle over a goal. On this episode of A Quiet Voice, we're going to dive deeper into when goals lead you into isolation and how we can work our way back into a way of being that suits us. My name's Colin Ward. As always, thank you for joining. A great goal that I don't, I don't really like to bring politics into this podcast. In fact, I, I think that politics and the news especially can be quite, for lack of a better word, and simply put bad for the creative and spiritual process, because it is an encouraging stimuli that pulls us out of things that are around us. It's my own personal view that a lot of news can separate, segregate, and fragment communities that otherwise would be healthy based upon ideologies and opinions that don't even really affect your quality of life on a day-to-day basis. Ireland and the United States and all over the world is constantly being pressured around climate action to reduce their carbon footprint. And Europe set in goals to have every country in the European Union reduce their carbon offset, reduce their carbon emissions. Now, whatever you think about global warming or carbon emissions is is not really what I'm trying to speak about. What I'm trying to talk about is the pursuit of that goal has led Ireland to plant and reforest their landscape. The idea around this is that, well, if we can't stop putting carbon into the air, then we could trap it by planting lots of trees and plants that absorb carbon, take it into their their wood, their, their structure, and then that carbon is not in the atmosphere and it is stored inside the tree. It seems like a good idea. Seems like actually a great idea, especially for a country like Ireland who was pretty much decimated of most of its native forests by during its colonized period by the British. Now Ireland is left with verdant green fields, but it used to be that if you were a monkey, you could swing on branches from shore to shore across Ireland with never putting your feet on the ground. It's hard to believe, but the temperate rainforest climate of, of Ireland would have produced lush, verdant forests with deep, deep <laughs> histories. And, and the people of Ireland used to be very much linked to those forests. Now it's very, very hard to find an old growth forest. And by an old growth forest, I mean something that dates longer than 300 years, 500 years. From just having just 1% of total forest in 1900, Ireland now has about 11%, which has meant that they're planting thousands of hectares every single year to continue to reduce their climate emissions. Now, the pursuit of this goal has meant that they start to plant forests as quickly as you can. And now if I can pull back from the climate climate aspect, this is precisely what we do on a creative and spiritual level. 
all the time. We have often expectations that are set to us, sometimes goals that come from a boss, from a spouse, culture, telling us to be a particular way, to act a certain way, to achieve in a certain way, and that if we can just get to that place by whatever means necessary, reaching the place will justify any means that it took to get there. I was staying recently at a hotel with Maria, the founder of Namawe, and my partner for our anniversary, and the hotel had constructed a path into a forest that is quite popular in Ireland called Sitka, Sitka Spruce Forest. Now, Sitka Spruce is a conifer. That means that it has, you know, pine cones and really narrow leaves. They're not native to Ireland at all. In fact, they're native to the northwest of the United States. What they do when they're planted in Ireland is they grow exceptionally quickly. They grow so quickly that they pull in all the carbon from the atmosphere and they store it inside of their trunk of their trees and they can grow, you know, from grow to a full standing tree in 10 to 15 years. And you would think this is fantastic. You can find a quick solution to getting rid of all this pesky carbon that's in the air. <laughs> But as a result, what it happens is that it creates forests that lack the forest nature, lack, lack a natural element. Really what they are are monocultures, single crops that are planted in plantation-like style. And because of the nature of the Sitka spruce tree, they grow really tall and they block out the sun. They block out all the light. They soak up all the light and... That's because they're not really meant to be side by side or next to each other. They're meant to be sparsely put between different variety of trees and different species of trees, which take different resources. Sitka spruce might go very, very, very high up in the canopy and in search of the sun and create a long spindly trunk. But when it's planted one after another in this plantation style, it blocks out the sun to the point where nothing underneath the canopy can actually grow. Now, never mind what that does to mammals. It creates a style of forest that is dead and empty. It doesn't even create a sense of forest that is pleasant. You know, you're used to walking around and hearing birds chirping, maybe a bee flying or a bug flying and a breeze coming in to shake the tree and allow a natural little bit of sunlight to come in. But this doesn't happen in a Sitka spruce planted forest. The sun doesn't come in at all. The ground is bare, soft with pine needles, but with no shrubs or grasses or ferns. Nothing grows because there's no light. And then what also happens is that the soil underneath the Sitka spruce becomes contaminated by, well, simply put, the runoff from the tree that just oversaturates the soil. They're constantly pulling the same resources from the soil to grow, and it creates an environment that no other plant can live in. So put simply, the pursuit of planting trees to offset carbon emissions does not really create 
a lifestyle for a forest that anybody would really value, that anybody would really want even. With more pressure towards reaching these carbon goals, Ireland is expected to plant more and more and more of these Sitka spruce forests. In fact, when, as you drive certain parts of Ireland, that's the predominant forest that you see. It's really kind of a cheap trick to tackle this climate crisis. It's a wall. It's dead darkness. This suffocating, you know, coniferous evergreen dominates the Irish landscape. And it dominates it because, well, there's a lot of corporations that benefit from using Sitka spruce in wood. But they don't even really make nice wood out of it. They use it mostly for pulp or plywood or pallets, fencing, garden furniture, building materials. But but most of it is exported even out of Ireland. So what happens is they absorb all the carbon from the atmosphere. They create a tree that decimates the native, any sort of native, native hab habitat. And then they cut it down very quickly and they put it into building materials or supply materials, which ultimately have a very short lifespan. So you can see how the tree has absorbed all this carbon, but very soon it's going to be back out anyway. A pallet gets burned, you know, a lawn chair doesn't last very long in the sun. Eventually that might get burned. Wood pulp is, you know, often used for compost or, you know, burning for fuel. This is just another example of how corporate interests can infect government policy to the point where even the best-intentioned and well-meaning politician is misguided because they are looking at the agenda of a particular solution that comes from a company or corporate interest that stands to benefit greatly from this type of you know, investment and this type of process. Put yourself in a forest that's vacant of life, vacant of light, where there's a coldness to it, a dead, decrepit, desolate place that has clearly built by humans and even though it's full of natural living organisms, feels more close to a fluorescent, lit corporate office than it does a forest. This, to me, can become our lives as we begin to be oriented around the goals of another person. We must be prim and proper and prepared, speak and articulate ourselves in a particular way, brand ourselves is the new sort of thing. You must have a personal brand, all to decorate and or ornament ourselves in order to be liked, in order to be accepted, whether in a corporate office, an employment way, or even as a business. What are you willing to do to sacrifice the originality that makes you you in order to fit in within a culture. The irony, of course, is that as people work deeper and deeper into the corporate landscape, especially in the 21st century, they find it deeply unfulfilling, even with all of the lavish accoutrements to the lifestyle that they have. Tech people may have free food, or they might have free transportation, and they got free daycare, free housing sometimes, and then when things turn rough, the economy shakes a little bit, 
They find themselves out of a job, out of a house, out of the daycare, out of all their friends that they know, completely segregated from the community that this corporation created for them. Now that experience, which has become very common in this year, as the tech industry becomes more and more maybe seen for what it really is, as a bloated (laughs) entity that doesn't really create too much, that's of use anyway, that is just a microcosm of the industrialized effect that goal-setting and material wealth can create, under which we are willing to sacrifice the most precious things about ourselves in order to fit into you know, another, another group. Now, I've been there. Even though I was only briefly employed by, you know, a white-collar job in a cubicle, you enjoy almost to put on the three-piece suit. You enjoy to have mm, the water-cooler conversations at first. As people are nice. You start to see that they're all there around a common purpose. It's when you start to notice that they put you at the front of the room near the door so they could watch you, make sure you're on time. And that raise that you ask for after six months of dedicated overtime work doesn't really amount to anything. That you start to see that these entities can move and culture can move in a way that has no interest for what the individual actually wants or deserves just swallows up all of the dignity of each person and it just moves under its own weight, creating these ecosystems or communities of people in which they have no real vested interest in the happiness of anybody. I don't want to get too, too down this cynical route, but I find that news and politics, economics, corporate living can often fragment communities in a way that makes people very distant from each other and creates this landscape of uniformity like that desolate forest which is completely lacking in any interest lacking in any sort of variety recently the architecture around cities and towns even in Ireland is moving more and more towards minimalism modernity and modern aesthetics lack any sort of ornateness. There's no time on a, on, a, on a system of railings or on a signpost to have the sculpture of a tiny leaf or something that's ornamental. Get it up quick with streamlined chrome, easy to install, easy to disassemble. It creates this world that we're completely disassociated from. And as we look into our environment, we see uniformity. We see hmm, nothing that is really beautiful. And we are also encouraged to continue looking out to the point that our inner world then is reflective of the outer world. Now, I've spoken about how in previous episodes, your outer world is a reflection of the inner world. And this is precisely the shift that we must make in order to begin to listen to the quiet voice which wants to bring us more into a place of authenticity where we're 
more ourselves and we're doing work that's in service to things that we really believe in. We're more connected to our friends and our family and our communities. How many of us have sacrificed for corporate interests at our job, our workplace? You know, so many people work minimum wage jobs, low paying jobs with the idea that they will be promoted or the idea that the work experience will justify the low payment. And we trust people, especially at an early age, we can be very trusting of what we believe from somebody that's in a superior position like a manager or a hiring manager or a boss, you know, to the point where we will give everything that we have expecting to be paid back and it never comes and it never comes. And it's a very sad reality of a lot of employment that you put in a lot of energy and then never really receive the payback that you expect. And it, and it can happen very quickly that a new employee can become very disenchanted. The dreamy corporate life starts to fizzle away and burn off as they start to see that their work is not really rewarded, valued, or appreciated, or that raise that they ask for after six months of doing solid work and sacrificing to, to be in the chair from nine to five and maybe more to produce something on tight deadlines with a high degree of skill, and then they get swiftly pushed away. Now, my point is not to disparage those that work in a corporate or office environment. I did it myself. But to say that if we are constantly putting the priorities of other people, the goals that are set from others first before what we want and what we do, what we have a life that we want to live, we'll end up having a life that somebody else wants us to live. We'll end up putting their needs before our own. And then what happens is a long enough time period of this, you forget what you really wanted in the first place. So used to satisfying the needs of another person, you forget what it is you wanted in the first place. It becomes dead and dark, like that Sitka spruce forest. And when I was walking onto this plantation near this hotel I was staying at, I started to see that as you enter into this dark canopy, the whole nature of your body tends to cower fear overwhelms you to the point where you're suspicious and something is not quite right. You don't feel as if this is a place that is for you. It feels, frankly, as foreign as a fluorescent lighted, you know, office building. Now, the way in which we were able to get into this spruce forest is because the owner of the land carved a private path into the forest at his own will and under his own power during the lockdown he decided to build a path into the spruce forest that was near near his property and the funny thing he noticed is that by carving away the barren forest floor and making a path with recycled logs that he found on other parts of his land or just carving into the forest he started to introduce new species to the point that then 
ferns started appearing, mushrooms started appearing, and just meters from this narrow path, the whole forest started to change. Mosses, fungi, small plants, ferns started to appear just naturally. And it was as if he was creating a corridor into this dark, desolate forest. We came across one point on this path where a tree had been either cut down or, or fallen under heavy wind, and light was able to penetrate the thick canopy of this, that Sitka spruce forest. And even on the gray, kind of almost rainy day that we had, a tiny sapling of a holly tree with its bright green thorny leaves was able to come and drink up all of that beautiful sunlight that was penetrating the thick canopy. All it takes is the smallest act to bring about great change in our lives, just as in that forest, but it requires consistent consistency. That path wouldn't exist if the owner of the property hadn't gotten up regularly enough, probably during those feelings of those apprehensive days during lockdown when we were told we were all going to die, <laughs> and just stridently put out more and more of this new path. Now, I believe that the quiet voice is the way in which we start to listen to the guidance in crafting that path, but it, it, it isn't coming just from the first step. No, in fact, it, we have to be carving out processes and practices for maybe months or years before we really start to see the results of these, these practices. Something like a daily meditation routine, or changing a diet, or taking a walk when you first wake up in the beginning of the day, or not using your phone at night, or heck, simply just taking a day without the phone or technology, which is something I ought to do and probably benefit greatly of, but one after another, it doesn't happen. One after another, it doesn't happen. And the more we sacrifice what we really want, the more we start to lose what, any idea of what that originally was. Curiosity is the first, hmm, call it the spade that we use to dig the first step in that path. Curiosity. It's almost like a glimpse through the canopy of hmm, our dark, desolate world in which the sun seemingly never shines and strangers always sort of have a grimace on their faces. Curiosity brings us to a place of childlike wonder, vulnerability, where we start to look at the world as not such a hostile place, not such a despairing place, but one that has beauty. Following beauty that is coming with curiosity can be as simple as mm, saying yes to the invitation from a stranger or saying yes to the invitation of, a, of an outing with friends. It could be as simple as if you don't have friends that are bringing you out, it could be as simple as doing something by yourself, going into a new part of town or going into a new restaurant or 
trying a new food, reading a new kind of book, even going to the movies by yourself to see something that maybe you wouldn't necessarily go see with your friends. Something outside of the norm of what you do starts to create a system in which you become almost like a, a video game rewarded over and over for satisfying those childlike pleasures. And the path gets deeper and deeper into that forest. Until then, what happens is that you start to see that when you're surrounded in yourself with curiosity and beauty, well, people, people want to be around that. And then you become surrounded by people who also have a childlike wonder and also have curiosities and passions that they're pursuing. You know, there was a time in my life when I was frustrated that I didn't have the right friends that were bringing me to the places I wanted to be or the passions I wanted to pursue. But this is the victimized mindset that clouds our thinking and perception around the simple truth that no one is going to come and save us. No one is going to come and save us. No one is going to come and give us light into that dark forest. And maybe that's a little bit too aggressive. The truth is that many people will try, but we won't be able to take them up on the offer or we won't be able to really lean into it, lean into the invitation because maybe we have anxiety or fear or depression or excuses or a habitual thought pattern that pulls us right out of the best thing that could happen to us and puts us right back in that dark forest. Every step along the way towards achieving a goal for another person is set about in a spirit of delayed curiosity. If I only do this, then I will have this, you know? Very future-oriented thinking. Or it's the reverse, in which, well, in the past I did this and they liked it. Or in the past I did this and they appreciated it. Both of those perspectives pull us out of the present moment in which invitations are constantly coming to explore new curiosities, new interests. It's just a matter of taking the step and time to deliberately take yourself out of the predictable places that you normally go, the people that you normally see, to try something new and be really open. And you do that enough with earnest effort, mm, I mean, your whole life could change, truthfully. I'm not, I'm not, that's not a, that's not a hyperbolic statement. The fact that I speak to you is a witness of that. Mm. We have the best intentions around these goals and it's just that our goals are shifting all the time, like I spoke about in the previous episode. We are a constantly changing perspective with preferences that are mutable, changeable all the time. The only way that we can really live the life that we want to live is if we're living it every day. Somebody told me recently that God gave us the curse of time, but he divided it into days, which means that every single day, and if you really wanted to go to it every hour, every second, every moment, is a new opportunity for you to change, for you to see things in a new, new way and allow more light to hmm, illuminate your world. I think, or I trust, that if you're on this path and you're listening to this podcast, then you're already doing those things. 
But sometimes just listening to what the advice of somebody else says hmm, is not enough. But deliberately taking action is required. You know, there was a period where I was very interested in Tony Robinson. Tony Robinson is this very charismatic self-help, you know, you guess some people would call him a guru. You know, I think he, he himself doesn't call himself a guru and rejects the term. He's goodness. He's like a giant. He's like six foot eight, you know, way over two meters tall, big muscular sort of football or rugby build, big commanding voice and these shiny teeth that almost look like a money python skit. And there's a lot of problems with Tony Robinson, and I'm not really, you know, a follower of his much anymore, as much to say that, you you know, you dive in, you get what you need, you dive back out. But one of the systems that he articulates in, in his courses is radical action. Radical action being the first step towards changing your life or going towards a new business or whatever you're trying to achieve. And the reason why radical action is so important is because action is the best step towards changing your environment. You go out into a new environment, maybe, or you take action to create something, and then your environment shifts. And then what happens is when your environment shifts, you are now in a new reality. You now look around yourself and you start to say, wow, it's not as dark as I thought in here. <laughs> it's not as desolate as I thought in here. That's a new, new fern there. There's a mushroom on that tree. And then when you're attached to the new reality, it changes your beliefs. It changes your beliefs so that you're no longer trapped in the cycle of constant pain, sorrow, victimization. So when your beliefs change based upon your environment, then you have even more cause to take action. And then it creates this loop. More action creates a new environment. Your environment fuels new beliefs. Your beliefs say, well, geez, my life is getting a little bit better. Or hey, I really liked spending time with that friend. Maybe I'll do it again and ask them to, to have another day. Or, gosh, it was fun go just randomly taking a walk in a, in a forest nearby and I, I felt really good for the rest of the day. So maybe I'll do that again. So you take new actions and it's just this loop, a little spiral, like we talked about in episode three, this labyrinth that just helps us get some momentum to keep going through the process. But it doesn't start with belief. To me, it starts with action. Well, maybe it takes a little bit of belief to believe that you, you know, can take the action, of course. The belief to cut through the fear of rejection, the fear of scorn, the fear of pain or disappointment. Maybe a little bit of belief, but just belief enough to take the action. The action still has to be taken. You can't get trapped in this manifestation mindset where, well, if I just believe it's strong enough, it'll happen. No, 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 no. You have to take the action. You have to open up your hands in order to receive the abundance that is all around you. Nobody else is going to do that for you. <laughs> I speak into this mic and it's a mirror. I speak to myself because I do not do this perfectly. And I fail all the time. I fail all the time. I look around and I see my environment and suddenly the cashier at the grocery store isn't so nice as I thought she was. Or, she, or I become impatient even with my friends and closest people around me. And then I pull back and I say, whoa, 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 why is everybody attacking me? They're not attacking me. I'm attacking myself. I'm not taking time for the needs that I have. And the world is looking very bleak because the beliefs I have about myself are bleak. 
We see how that works. Can you hear that? Tiniest belief creates the radical action, making new environments, crafting new beliefs. Hmm. That's the essence of a lot of what Toby Robinson talks about. I might have just saved you $1,000. $1,000 course. Hmm. That's enough for today. I hope that I've articulated a path that you can carve into the darkest parts of your life. As always, we get there through patience and presence, one step at a time. I'll be here for you on that next step, and we'll chat again soon. Until then, thank you for listening, and be well. <laughs>